There's no good word for a video podcast. I guess vlog. Just say video. Just say vi- let's just say video. Anyway, I think you might find something that's fun in all of that. <laughs> Maybe. Fingers crossed. Alternative episode title. Hello everyone and welcome to the 26th episode of the Octothought podcast. This episode will be going out on the 4th of March 2021 and I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we have some letters of comment for you all this week. Um, So firstly um, I'm going to start with a uh, letter of comment from Roman Orzanski who... um, thought we did not particularly fairly uh, treat the N.K. Jemison novel uh, The City We Became because we said things about it but none of us have read it. Um, so I've got two reactions to this which is firstly um, I all I was doing was reporting that my wife didn't think it was great and that does affect my um, opinions on whether or not I'm probably going to read a book. Um, if other people do not take um, opinions from their loved ones then that's fine uh, but I do. Secondly, I have started reading the book, and although although I am enjoying it, there have been multiple times so far where I've been reading it and I've read a sentence and I've been like, oh, that's not what I was imagining, I've clearly missed a bit. And I've gone back several pages to be like, where did she establish this thing that's happening? And she just hasn't. And so it is, I'm finding it, I'm finding it incredibly jarring in a way that I haven't found any of her previous works. And I'm wondering whether, I'm wondering whether that's something other people um, encountered when they read it. Um, but yeah, like, so there's a point where someone at a bike shop starts talking to the main character but at no point has it been established that he's standing near a bike shop and so it's just like the bike attendant starts talking he's like what bike attendant where did where did they come from why are they there where are their bikes and you there just weren't any before and so you weren't imagining any bikes and then suddenly there are bikes and you have to readjust the scene in your head and i am finding i'm finding that very odd um but since last time I also read Piranesi, which is excellent, but feels more like a long novella than a short novel, I would say. And I've also read um, the third Murderbot novella in preparation for reading the Mur- Murderbot novel, which I believe is eligible this year. And um, I also thoroughly enjoyed that. Didn't you also read another book? I read Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. Yes. I can't remember if I said I'd read that last time because time is an illusion and reading time doubly so. Um, but no, The Space Between Worlds is amazing. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked it better than Piranesi, I think. Um, it and The Vanished Birds are definitely the two best books I've read so far that have been published in 2020. I will be enthusiastically nominating both. And if and if The Jemison stays at the same quality as it has done so far, I suspect I will like it less than those two. Um, but it might be that it picks up uh, later in the book. So I'm only about a quarter of the way through at the moment. I think I am more sympathetic to Roman's point than you are, partly because um, I am not as bothered about what your wife thinks about books, but also because I try to think, well, what if I was listening to Roman on a podcast about a book I really, really liked and he hadn't read and he didn't really say anything nice about it? So he, I think he has a point there. But, but we also said a bit more. I think we also sort of segued into a discussion of fix-ups and, and our general uh, not enjoyment of fix-up novels without really being clear about fix-ups or the fact that we'd gone on to a kind of more general topic. Claire Brawley of Croydon writes, I'd rather people thought I drink too much than that I have poor taste in reading. And I'm, I'm sure nobody would think either of those two things, Claire. 
I know for a fact that Claire has liked books that other people didn't like on occasion. So, how do you ac- how do you respond to these accusations? Claire, please write in with your next letter of comment and tell us about the subjectivity of art. Actually sent us a very long letter, so thank you very much, but we're not going to read out all of it because we have many topics to cover today. Um, but she did also write us some poetry for, for Liz. I think Liz has to read out the poetry. Claire says, I'm surprised that Flanders and Swan didn't include geckos in their bestiary. I'm slightly worried at this point, this is me, not Claire, that I'm now going to have to explain to John who Flanders and Swan were. Uh, it, is, it is a poem, uh, <laughs> especially for me, which... Octothorpe Poetry Corner. I'm sliding down the wall and not liking it at all. When did you get that anti-gecko spray? I'm just here in your abode to catch the latest episode of the Octothorpe podcast, as we say. Back in the skirting board till you're ready to record, I've been hoping you might mention me on air. I've been a long-term fan and I don't deserve this ban, so I'm writing in to say that it's not fair. I only made a chirp when I was startled by that burp, and you've had much bigger problems with the sound. But if I develop fur and then try to learn to purr, is there any chance you'll let me stick around? Oh. Thank you, Claire. I will also say that my anti-gecko spray um, is like apparently a nasty smell that they don't like and so they won't go near it. And so the idea is it stops them coming in because you put a kind of smell they don't like it away. It doesn't actually make them slide down the wall like anti-climb paint or anything, although that would be very funny. I, I, while I was listening to that poem, I realised I have to do an art for this podcast, um, which is basically some geckos on a wall that says, this wall has been treated with anti-gecko spray. <laughs> <laughs> Good poem. Thank you, Claire. Yes, thank you, Claire. I enjoyed the return of Poetry Corner. Yay! Other people can also join in by sending us poetry. Yes, we want Chris Garcia to send us a poem. On the subject of Chris Garcia, he writes that he is, in fact, a multitasker. It's rare that he doesn't have two films running in the selection process, a podcast and a conversation with a child. Hang on. Yeah, this is for this episode. Yeah, cool. (laughs) The time is blurring together. Because unlike unlike Chris, John is not a multitasker. I mean, I'm I'm not even a single tasker. Um, so there's that. Right now, he's listening to Octothorpe, watching wrestling, and listening to John Paul retell the plot from the regeneration to the Fifth Doctor. He's not seen the episode, and thus he's fairly certain he's getting the details slightly wrong about how the Paw Patrol intervened. Um, although I do um, thoroughly look forward to the Doctor Who Paw Patrol crossover. Yeah, I mean that sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't have any. I'd, I'd, I'd love to have some witty follow-up, but I literally, I know nothing about Paw Patrol. That's fair. Um, he spells Alison's name wrong. He's going to be an easier con, which um, is a great alternate name for Easter con, which I love. And he's eaten chicken mole pancakes. Uh, so you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to give that a try at some point. I think, I think you mean chicken mole pancakes, don't you? Yes, true. Um, and finally. So Ange Rosin says that when Alison last episode mentioned that she had Stephen and Jonathan wandering around, uh, Ange suspects that neither Stephen nor Jonathan sleeps on Alison's desk. Alison, can you confirm or deny? Um, cannot confirm or deny that. <coughs> okay, weird. Um, and Ange does not log any books, films, TV series, cats, crochet, or podcasts. But she did then follow that up with a tweet to us in which she um, showed us her big old traditional notebook of reading, um, which has um, is basically just a list of handwritten Agatha Christie novels. <laughs> Hang on, isn't that a log? I mean, yes, this is what she says in her tweet. 
She she says, I made a fallacious claim. I do log books, but only series, and mainly tried to stop myself buying electronic duplicates, which doesn't always work. And I replied and said, that is also the main reason I log books and movies, to stop myself buying duplicates. And also, it doesn't always work. Um, I, I'm trying, been trying to decipher Andrew's secret code. I presume, which is a, like, P for Poirot, maybe? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, Murder on the Orient Express has a P, so that, that, that seems consistent. Okay. And then the M's might be Marple. Octothorpe, the podcast of code breaking. Oh, yeah, because I see there's a P that's labelled Hercule Poirot's Christmas, so yeah. Um, but then there's lots of K's and A's. So, Ange, please send us a follow-up tweet to explain your secret code of uh, Agatha Christie's. So my favourite my favorite line from uh, Angie's uh, log is um, the following line. N or M? Question mark. T and T, K. I leave it as an exercise for the listener to work out which part is the book title, which part is the tag, and which part is the Ange notation. I write my journal in whole sentences, by and large, with very few abbreviations of any kind. And I still go back in years later and go, what on earth was this about (laughs) i don't think i'd do very well with (laughs) vigorous abbreviations i'd just be completely lost and i also one of the nice things about middle age is that it doesn't really matter whether you forget that you've already read things and read them again because you can enjoy them just as much the second time once your memory is completely shot (laughs) yay Ange also mentions that she has volunteered for easter con and um uh, this is a sort of segue, you see. I've never really used them before, but I'm told they can be particularly effective. Um, so, EasterCon, peeps. It has been three weeks since the last EasterCon weekly video. But there's only one. All right, uh, like, there's only been one video so far, right? So it's not really a weekly video. No, 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 there were two videos. There, There is a video that says we will be releasing weekly videos full of content, telling you what's going on with the convention, and then within a week of that, they released a video with zero content saying everything was under control so um yes they they said they were going to do a podcast and um and we are still eagerly waiting for episode two they said they were going to do a podcast but the thing about a podcast is that there are audios not videos i am i the, am i like tilting at windmills here um possibly i think well i mean the other alternative is we call it a vodcast and no one wants that <laughs> yes <laughs> that's true what what i think we're trying to say is that some of us want to plan for our Easter weekend and in particular some of us are in a position where we've been asked to do tasks by the EasterCon and like for example I'm a deal I'm planning to sell stuff at EasterCon and in order to trade I want to know how the dealer's room is going to work and what we get so far is kind of notes saying the dealer's room is going to be amazing but we won't tell you what's happening yet or what you need to do or how you need to prepare and that is becoming difficult because we don't have very long left and i've also been asked to do a job by the EasterCon, and i've kind of gone well yes in principle but until i know how your platform is working i really don't know what the job you're asking me to do is going to look like in the context of a virtual convention it's a job that we do it well we've done at regular conventions but it's obviously going to be different at a virtual convention so that that's all quite we're getting to the stage where resolving that sort of stuff along with everything else in our lives not that there is anything else in our lives, but, you know, there we go. Within the amount of time we have left before Easter is becoming worrying and difficult. And if you say, 
agree to do something, you kind of would prefer to have the time and space to do it really well. And that's the thing that's worrying me at the moment. In more positive news, I've had my £20 refund from Eastcon for the difference between my attending and my virtual membership, and I immediately spent it on a board game. So hurrah! As promised, the Cox and Guarantee. It's it's the it's the circulating economy. Yep. What what board game did you spend it on, John? I spent it on a game called Starcrossed. So Starcrossed is a game that is played with a Jenga tower. Um, or an off-brand Jenga tower. Um, other brands are available. Mine is from John Lewis. And you play a couple who are engaging in um, kind of some sort of conversation or some sort of scene. And every time you make an emotional bid, you pull a block from the Jenga tower. And when the Jenga tower falls, you must act on your emotions, wherever your emotions have gotten to by that point in the game. And it sounds fascinating, and I am excited to play it. Is this a two-player game? It is a two-player game. Yeah, so that's that's, that's quite nice. Okay, so I have a massive fondness for games that use the equipment from other games. This is with my buy nothing hat. Games that assume that you will have things like counters and dice and Monopoly money and Jenga towers around your house. I specifically bought a Jenga tower to play this and another game called Dread, and I have no intent of ever using it to actually play Jenga. Oh dear. Well, Jenga's quite a good game. I was going to say, have you played Fog of Love? Fog of Love. Yes, I have played Fog of Love. This very much sounds like the Jenga. This sounds like um, the um, love child of a game called Dread, which is a horror RPG in which whenever you take an action, you pull a block from the tower. And when the tower falls, one of the players die, um, which is a very effective mechanic for running horror RPGs. Um, And there is a game called Fog of Love, which is another two player game which revolves around relationships and exploring um, them. And that's based around a kind of card based, almost legacy based mechanic. And Starcross does seem like the kind of intersection of the Venn diagram of those two games. Um, but I have played both, and they are both very good. So I'm excited about Starcross. Yes, I thought when you said it, I was like, oh, if John likes the sound of that, he would love Fog of Love. And uh, you did love Fog of Love. So it's all good. And I've said love about 17 times now. So, And we have now done our obligatory gaming content. <laughs> Hi, Mark. <laughs> I do have something else to say about EasterCon, which is that they announced in... The dealers, they are charging dealers £20 to be a dealer. But if you remember, that's included. So it's like a dealer's table is included in membership. But if you want to just be a dealer, they are selling dealers only tickets, which is... Oh, that's interesting. Kind of strange. And it does make me worry that they that they do want me to spend eight hours a day in, in some kind of virtual space, which is the thing that... Zealand tried to do and then rolled back on when they realised it wasn't a very sensible idea because it doesn't really work because you want to be in other places at the same time but you can be in some other places at the same time so it might work. They've also said dealers are going to get some stuff on programme and they can do literally anything they like with their programme space except a reading which made me made me think two things. The first was what if what if you're selling tarot cards are you allowed to do a reading then? That's not that sort of reading. But yeah, so the first thing it made me think was, well, if I have some program space to do anything I like in, I'm going to throw a party because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do. So there will be a Stow Shirts party at the EastCon and it will be an officially sanctioned bit of the program, though they don't know it yet. 
also it made me think, ooh, I want to have a reading. So there will be a social party and there will be a reading at it because we're explicitly <laughs> not allowed to. So if you're an author and you'd like to read something at my social party, it should be probably quite short, like about 10 minutes. Or you could do poetry. Poetry would be great. So if somebody, if one of our listeners would like to write an Eastercon related poem that I could read out at my social party, that would be fantastic. That does imply that Eastercon have a platform of sufficient granularity that you can easily kind of confine the activity the dealers are able to do to only their dealers room and program room and presumably not not the rest of the convention. Otherwise, everyone would be buying a 20 quid dealers membership. Possibly, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't I think you can trust science fiction fans by and large to do the right thing. I, th- I think you can, but I think if someone says, well, the dealers are paying 20 quid to be dealers and they get access to everything that I get access to, except that I pay 50 quid, then... Oh, well, I don't think they do, do they? They they get access, they get to be on a single programme item in the same way that I think they've announced that BSFA nominees will be able to attend the awards ceremony. But they they don't generally have access to the convention. But I think that's Liz's point, right? Like, that, that implies a platform... Like, we wouldn't have been able to do that at punctuation because as soon as a dealer was in the bit where they could plug their wares, they would have been able to access everything else as well. You'd almost think that we would have an honour system and that science fiction fans are by and large honourable. I think you could run a science fiction convention virtually with the honour system. I think there's absolutely no requirement to have a physical paywall because our members just, they, they'll do what they know they should. And and a couple might not. And, and, and then we'll just kind of ignore them or shame them as we choose. But my, my, so I think my point here is that what I'm saying is either they have a, either they have something which gates you off, or basically they're saying you can pay us twenty quid and get exactly the same as you do for fifty quid, uh, if you say if you're a dealer, right? So basically they're giving dealers a reduced cost to incentivize them to deal. But then you're kind of like, well, what is the kind of value I get for for the thirty quid? Did sort of see what I'm getting at? We know nothing about their platform, but then I'm starting to infer things based on how they are obviously setting up and running their convention, which makes me intrigued into how they have presumably solved this problem, which I think most of the conventions have not tried to do of having different classes of members with access to different things. On the subject of Alison's poetry readings, next episode will be the anniversary episode of Octothorpe, and I am announcing, without having conferred with either of my co-hosts, that we will be publishing a poetry anthology as a zine. So if you want to write poems for the anthology, please send them to the usual address. I'll lay out. You don't have to do any work. That's a smashing idea. That's why I announced it without discussing it with you. I mean, if I, as long as I don't have to do any work, then that's fine. Remember Clara Hughes and Limericks, guys, if you don't think you're necessarily a natural poet. Yep. There's still there's plenty of forms that have your name on it. Since last time, there has been a thing that happened uh, in that Discon 3 disinvited a guest of honour. And we have linked in our show notes to John Scalzi uh, and his vague and official pronouncement about a thing. And the reason we have linked to that is because we may or may not have thoughts about this, but we are probably not going to go into detail about those thoughts due to the potential fraughtness of the said thoughts on the part of various of the co-hosts. And so we know it happened. Uh, We, you know, there are lots of people discussing it. File 770 has had some excellent roundups. Um, Go and engage with the rest of the fandom. Um, Hurrah. 
I did actually write something about this on my Facebook, which we can also put a link to if for people who are my Facebook friends. And if you're not my Facebook friend, then, you know, you can always friend me and say you listen to Octothorpe. But what I was trying to do when I wrote my thing on Facebook was essentially do what Scalzi did. But obviously, I am much less um, of a good writer than he is. And so I didn't do as good a job of it. And so I fomented a row. And one of the Facebook does not let you turn comments off. And Scalzi very cleverly turned comments off on his pronouncement. Um, and his explanation for why he turned comments off was because I probably want to use this again another time, which I thought was quite right too. I mean, I think the point here is that presumably Scalzi had, within a minute of the announcement, a bunch of people asking him on Twitter, when are you going to write something about this and what's your opinion? Whereas I think we should say that no one has asked for our opinions. Uh, it just feels a bit weird to be to be saying, oh, we're linking to Scalzi's thing and we feel the same way. But we have not actually had a clamour of people asking for our opinions, which is what, what you'd expect. You know, it just it just feels uh, slightly odd to me. It's just me. PicoCon. Oh, PicoCon was great. I hit people with fish. I did not get their informed consent first. I just went and slapped them with fish. So PicoCon happened last weekend as we record, um, which was the 21st of February. Uh, and Pico was quite good. It was a um, Discord and Crowdcast IO convention. They had some panels, which I went to a couple of, and a pub quiz, which was good. But they also had uh, my personal highlights of the convention, which was uh, fish slapping. Uh, you could donate money in order to receive Pico coins, and you could spend your Pico coins on fish, and then you could slap people with the fish. Uh, and there was also a scavenger hunt, which um, ate my day. It ate my entire Saturday um, and it ate Espana's entire Saturday too. We were on different teams for the scavenger hunt, and it was very good. And it ate my entire Saturday, and I learned how to sing Barbershop by myself on Zoom a lot, and then make videos of it and put it on YouTube, and they're all unlisted, for which I think the world could be very grateful. And I learned a lot of other things. I was struck by the number of items you needed for the scavenger hunt, which were available within easy reach of my computer downstairs which does slightly worry me about i'm worried about the amount of clutter i have in the house i think do we need to uh, will all our audience understand why PicoCon had fish slapping or do we need to explain the fish slapping liz give us the history lesson because you weren't at this PicoCon, but you've been to other PicoCons. i will say that PicoCon it must have been the first science fiction convention i ever went to i think in 2003 Wow. And for as long as I've been going, for some reason, there is always um, an item on the programme, um, which is labelled, what is it labelled now? Harmless fun. For as long as I've been going, there's always been an item on the programme labelled harmless fun. And what harmless fun turns out to be is uh, some representatives of ICSF and I think other university science fiction societies basically hitting each other with fish. I don't know why. Never dared ask why, but basically you go out to the quad at some point and some people hit each other with fish uh, in January or February in the UK, which means it's it's probably not the most fun activity for the people who are getting slapped with fish, I would understand. I was going to say, Alison, did you ever become be the fish slapper? But presumably PicoCon started after you were a student and so you never took part in the actual fish slapping. Okay, so here's the really astonishing thing about PicoCon, which is this, is, this was PicoCon 38 automata which means that PicoCon actually started before i was a student or just as i was a student but certainly before i was 
travelling to other science fiction societies to slap fish. It is certainly the sort of thing I might have done as a student and thereafter. I think Paul Treadaway, they weren't fish slapping at the very beginning, I'm not, I don't think. Um, Paul Treadaway thinks he was the, one of the very first fish slappers and he was obviously slapping for cussus. So, so yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is fan history. We're actually doing fan history now. So I know that a lot of our listeners are into fan history. Um, but I think really Rob Hansen or Mark Plummer could maybe do an exhaustive study of, of fish mutilation at British conventions. I went to uh, PicoCon in 2007, which I believe is where I met Liz for the first time. And I believe was my second or third convention. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And the fish slapping was very confusing. And the scavenger hunt was good. And there was beer. There's also, and they didn't make this virtual, and I thought this was a bit of a shame, they also traditionally have the destruction of dodgy merchandise. And I feel like that is something we could take virtual. And also, I've never really been, because I understand it's funny, but also it always just seems a little bit wasteful. But maybe that's just me being a stuck in the mud. Stick in the mud. Listeners, write in and tell me whether I should have used a U or an I. Sorry, Liz. It does raise quite a lot of money for charity, though. They raised £1,000 for charity, um, pretty much entirely through selling uh, electronic fish. Um, a whale cost 100 Pico coins, which meant you had to donate £100 to charity. Um, at least three people bought whales, which were horrifically imbalanced. They only put the whale in as a joke. None of the other fish cost more than a couple of quid. They were not expecting anybody to buy whales. So the fact they sold multiple whales is uh, brilliant. Um, and there was also a leaderboard for who had lost the most hit points because you could go into negative hit points. So by the end, someone had minus 2000 hit points. I like in particular that they sold whales to whale. Yeah, I was going to say that is particularly well named, isn't it? Who can we get the most money from? But other than that, uh, tell me more about PikiCon. It was Discord and Crowdcast. Crowdcast is um, a a private st- you, you you register and then you get a private link so it can be paid or unpaid and you have a stream with with associated chat it's fine it seemed okay um it had like the advantage over punctuation was that it all came off the same crowdcast link which you got emailed um so it meant that you weren't um constantly having to find new youtube links um i think the disadvantage uh from punctuation was that i'm not sure crowdcast has like a tv app um that's as widespread as youtube's so if you wanted to watch it on your tv it would have been very slightly harder um but in general i think it was a slightly different set of trade-offs to what we did with punctuation and um but i think it, it went fine i i think it was a very similar model of convention um i think their discord usage was probably better than punctuations um i think if we ever run another punctuation uh my inclination would be that we would want to talk to them about perhaps poaching some of their people uh because they did have a lot of really cool stuff happening uh on their discord in terms of like interactivity um which i thought was really good it felt exactly like PikaCon. it really did like it was the closest I, I thought that was amazing, and I don't think anyone's quite yeah. managed that trick. It, it really, I had just the same sense that I do with a PikaCon. There were author talks for me to ignore, though in fact I did listen to one and a half of them, um, yep, and then too. remembered why I don't normally go to the author talks at PikaCon, and they had the author panel, and it it just they just did the whole convention in that way, and it was lovely really had a fantastic time, and I went and got my vaccination in the middle of it. Um, which you then used in the scavenger hunt. So, I, yeah, I then used the vaccination as good news for the scavenger hunt. And then I 
I think I might have been very dopey at the pub quiz. In fact, I know I was very dopey. Apologies to all my team members. We came second in the pub quiz. Because I was, I was super dopey because I just had a vaccination. How did they run the pub quiz? They did it. You had a table on Discord and you were in voice chat on Discord. And then you had the quiz was happening through a stream on Crowdcast. So it was like um, basically yeah, having it split across two different platforms, which I think worked really well. And um, It's a good use for Discord tables. So when you said, oh, we might not use Discord tables for punctuation next time, I was actually thinking, well, we might use them for something just like that. Yes, and that really neatly segues into um, our write-up of punctuation that we published over the last couple of days as we record, and there will be links in the show notes. So we published two blog posts on the punctuation website, we published a financial report, and we published a feedback report. Um, And yeah, um, there are there is there is three graphs split across these two blog posts. So graph fans like fill your boots. Yeah. So um, to summarise the financial report and feedback report, um, it went pretty well. We had a lot of fun. We made quite a bit of money for charity, though. If we'd thought about selling virtual whales, we could maybe have made some more. And um, we'll probably do it again sometime or not. And we are holding some of the money in case we do it again. And if we don't do it again, we'll give that money to charity in the same proportions as we did before. So um, to go into slightly more detail, uh, we took £985.20 and Australian dollars, so pretty much £1,000. Um, we spent about 300 of that on holding the convention, and we have about £700 left over, uh, which we're, we're splitting as Alison described. Um, so our £5 a member was um, plenty to cover any costs that we incurred. And um, in terms of uh, what people thought of the convention, most things were rated on average a four or higher. There were a few things that weren't, which I kind of go into more detail on in the post that's linked in the show notes. Three of the things that jump out are, firstly, people didn't find the set a new table feature um, useful, as Alison describes, but it might be that if we had a more targeted use for that, that would change. Um, People didn't um, like... I think people thought the virtual com badges were kind of neat, but generally didn't think they were amazing. And I think um, we need to think about the effort to um, pay off uh, ratio at future conventions. And people didn't think it was easy enough to... Or, sorry, people didn't like that we split the chat during panels between youtube and discord and a lot of people said you just need to pick one um but obviously when we talked to people about which one we should pick they all disagreed so uh yes there is that um and i go into kind of some thinking about that in the post as well um but yeah in general people rated us very very uh strongly across most categories which was very gratifying and we're glad people enjoyed the convention I think I would add is that the thing I took away from this is that running a virtual convention uh, is really extremely cheap, uh, a lot cheaper than I thought it would be. Actually, I thought we might need more Zoom licenses and more little costs that we didn't have. I mean, if you took out if you took out using Poll everywhere, which, as we say, costs us quite a chunk of money and we only use for a few program items, you could probably run most of the convention for about 120 quid. So if anyone is thinking of doing a small virtual convention and you're thinking about what money you need to charge to do that, you can think about the fact if you're prepared to kind of put some money up front, you might be able to do it basically based off a tip chart or nothing at all. Um, So that's what you fancy. But there were obviously 
you know, depending on the size of the convention room, there probably were places we could have spent more money. Like we could have had guests of honor, in which case we would then want to reward them uh, in some way that would cost us money. I mean, we we charge people a fiver just because less than a fiver doesn't really seem like a reasonable amount of money to even bother collecting. And I think then you just lose most of it in like processing charges and, and fees. But it was definitely more, way more than we needed to actually run a single convention on this model. No, and it's 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 worth pointing out that um, we spent, with the exception of Paul Everywhere, we spent £120 on like the um, Zoom and StreamYard and uh, WordPress site. Um, but we also spent £120 on like payment processing. So like, depending on how you do your payments, um, you might be able to make that cheaper. But that was by far our biggest expense, as it turns out. Um, but in terms of like, if you can get like a bunch of people just to, like PayPal you some money and you can ignore the spectre of payment processing, um, yeah, £120 is like, you can do it for that with about 200 people, which is pretty good. And Discord cost us £8. And that was because uh, we thought we might want more emoji than we actually did. So <laughs> that was quite cheap. So if you're wondering, why does every convention use Discord? It's because it's so cheap. Like, you don't understand how cheap it is to run a convention on Discord. It's so cheap. Let's um let, let's do another con sometime. That was cool. Yes. Wash your mouth out with soap, etc. Yeah. This episode is episode 26. And uh, next episode is the anniversary of Octthorpe. And so we thought we'd wrap up this episode by doing a sort of year retrospective of what we've been doing to stay sane in the apocalypse. This might be very gloomy. I'm not entirely sure I've stayed sane. I I think I may have reassessed my sense of what sanity consists of. And we we're kind of like this, oh, we might be getting towards the end of all this now, although we might not. And they might be de-restricting everything in the summer, except that maybe it still won't be safe to do some of the things you like to do. And it's all... Um, I've kind of got very used to living in a house and never going out and doing things on computers and never seeing anyone. And I kind of go, how did I ever find time to, say, spend a couple of hours traveling to a place in order to do a thing and then spend a couple of hours traveling home again? Why would anyone do that? So that's going to take some readjustment, I think. I'm going to be one of those annoying pricks now. Uh, So what have I been doing to stay sane in the apocalypse? Well, um, I've learned Spanish. um, So I've been doing Spanish lessons with my sister-in-law every week and I've been doing my Duolingo. I do not have the streak that Claire Briley has uh, because no one does. She's got a massive streak. Claire Briley is an amazing streaker. It's true. She is an amazing streaker. Um, How big is a streak? Because I'm not... 1,200 days. Oh, that's quite big. Mine is two because I lost it <laughs> the other day. Um, it was about 100. One of the things I've learned in lockdown is that I'm terrible at streaking. Um, I was actually voted person most likely in my year to streak through university campus when I was in sixth form. True fact. So um, I find Duolingo streaks a bit tricky because like, they come and they go and you can repair them and there are little things you can get that protect them so i don't treat them anywhere near as seriously as i treat streaks that go away when you lose them and so i find that my duolingo streak is much less good than my um exercise streak on my apple watch which is currently about a thousand and twenty days um so in lockdown i've also been i've also been exercising every day which is something i hadn't been doing prior so i run three times a week and i lift weights twice a week and i do apple fitness plus so i do yoga or core strength or high intensity interval training uh and i do those in various quantities through the week 
um so i am currently thinner than i have been since i left home um which is quite good and my i've never been fitter um i uh i've um i've learned how to write ios apps i've been doing the 100 days of swift course uh by paul hudson i've been doing that every day and i'm currently on a 56 day streak with that uh and so i've written some apps i wrote a duck with lewis calculator and i've written a alcohol uh intake tracker um which is quite fun and i've been doing various things and it's i've really enjoyed um learning kind of proper software development um uh people who listen may know i'm a physicist by trade and i write python um mostly in my day job um but that's kind of more um uh procedural programming uh and so doing ui based programming has been a really interesting uh shift um i've also been upping my reading um and uh i've been journaling uh both of which i found very um restful and so yeah um I, I, I really like the apocalypse and i know that makes me an annoying prick but um i am i am flourishing uh i'm not sure if i'm sane but i'm not sure i was sane before so yeah don't know but sorry to everyone listening who wants to punch me now uh when we're back in person feel free yeah that was quite quite annoying <laughs> sorry <Yep. John. laughs> i mean i can't yeah that's one of the reasons why i've been less vocal about the state saying in the apocalypse segments on the podcast because i'm like what i'm basically doing is doing enough things that i don't have to think about how awful the world is and that is probably an unhealthy coping mechanism but it manifests as an annoying prick yeah it probably is yeah um have you considered writing a meta streak app such that you can then log all your streaks on your meta streak app and get a streak of streaks so yes liz i do indeed have that app. oh god uh, i will post a link to it in the show oh notes. you've already got one oh geez okay <laughs> i'm sorry i'm so sorry um but this is why when fitness and stuff came up on the third row uh discord i was like have you considered streaks and um i think uh i got the impression they don't work for everyone but they very much work for me as it turns out yeah they didn't work for me at all which is why i had to mute that discussion because it was all like have you tried streaks and it's like yes i have tried streaks they didn't work um i also know that you run your life by reminders you can t- you don't need to focus on the podcast i know you run your life by reminders because basically every week you say are we gonna play alcohol horror this time next week then and i go i don't know yet john and then you say are we gonna podcast this time next week and i say i don't know yet john um <laughs> you do at the same time so if listeners can can be aware of this at 6 p.m on sundays i have a reminder that says check calendar and so if you ever schedule anything for me during a week you will receive a message from me at roughly 6 to 8 p.m on a sunday saying we still on because um i have a reminder that tells me to do that and so i do it because i'm that person i i am not as good with reminders and streaks and things of that kind as john but i have done my fair share of annoying prick type things like i too am exercising every day um mostly in my house mostly using um a vr headset and i have a very long list of exciting vr fitness games now i'm i I wouldn't say i've tried all of them but i have tried an enormous number of them and i am getting better at drawing i think i realized that at the point where i was like i am going to paint vegetables every week that my sanity my grip on sanity might not be as good as it could be it's the things i'm choosing to do like like the other day i wrote a little nature notes post about how caroline and i had seen a tree with mistletoe and um 
and 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 a little bit about how mistletoe works, which is very interesting. You see, we have a conception of what our self is like. We have a sense of self and we believe that we carry on being the same person from day to day. But I can kind of look at Alison a year ago or a bit more than a year ago. And if you said to me, well, in a year's time, nothing will be much worse about your life, despite the fact that we will be in the middle of an apocalypse. But you will be interested in the mechanism by which mistletoe attaches to its host tree. I'll be like, you know, you're on crack, dude. And that's it. So I feel like I I feel like philosophically I may have changed personality very directly in in ways that are not necessarily good. But yeah, I can draw much better than I could a year ago. No, and I think I think like to justify my annoying prickness, these are all things that I've been intending to do and have never got round to and i was like well if i don't do them now i'm never gonna and so there was a kind of sense of um vague malaise and guilt that kind of nagged me into it um but it is also it's just good to have my anxiety i have always found it easier to deal with my anxiety when i keep myself busy and so um yeah well i mean i think learning to draw was definitely in the category of things i was hoping to get around to my my drawing is much better than it was a year. i mean it's just much better than it was a year ago and the fitness stuff is good um i i'd love to say i've lost a lot of weight but i haven't i'm roughly the same weight that i was at the start but liz you have a disadvantage here in that you've been keeping sane in the apocalypse by living in a place that is not really all that apocalyptic yeah i do have a strong advantage in that the it turns out the apocalypse is not evenly distributed i was looking at uh so john Byrne murdoch the financial times journalist who does lots of nice data visualizations have has like a visualization of the whole pandemic with you know chunks for different parts of the world and basically it is exactly the inversion of what i thought we were going to see a year ago in that all the majority of cases have been in you know north america and then europe and then south america and then you have these little tiny bits for comparatively for you know africa and, and east and southeast asia um and if you'd asked me a year ago i'm pretty sure that is exactly the opposite of who i thought would be most prepared to uh weather a pandemic so that's quite interesting um but yeah it turns out i have been doing okay by living in a place which is still having a pandemic but just controlling it very well and for the most part with a few exceptions life has continued pretty much as normal as long as you never want to leave the country uh the the main problem is that at some point i would like to leave the country uh and the the longer I'm here, the the more I recognise that um, you know there are people I haven't seen for a long, long time. And at some point, I think vaccination status is going to be a big deal in whether people can move around freely. And um, I'm not likely to be vaccinated anytime soon. So that's kind of my background: is the apocalypse coming? But otherwise, yeah, I haven't really had to take on any special mechanisms for staying in the apocalypse because we haven't really had one. Because if if I was still able to go outside and see my friends, I would have a lot less time in the evenings for all of the things I've described, and I would probably be in general happier. Um, so I think I miss my friends a great deal, and whenever I see photographs of San Francisco, I tear up. So like, I'm clearly not thriving in every dimension. Um, like, I miss my friends, and I miss, I miss, I miss going to san francisco and like seeing friends there and i miss restaurants and i miss sport yeah and i'm hopeful that will come back at some point but um but if i spend enough time learning spanish and learning programming every day i don't think about it and then i don't get sad 
This is a coping mechanism known as avoidance. For, for, for something that's essentially temporary, um, it's actually okay to develop coping mechanisms that involve not thinking about the temporary state of affairs. Well, no, and this is the thing, right? I, I, I can't do much to control this other than staying in my house and wearing a mask when I have to go outside, both of which I'm doing. And so spending too much time being sad about the fact that there are things that I don't like about how my life is at the moment doesn't seem like a good use of my energy. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm not I'm not worried at the way I'm coping. I'm aware that I have got this coping mechanism, which is basically stay busy enough that you don't think about what's happening. Um, so, you know, I'm just sort of like at a meta level conscious that that is a thing at the moment i've also been doing a podcast with two lovely people oh yeah so there is all the stuff like we we did a <laughs> podcast and we ran a science fiction convention and yes. stuff like that and we forgot we'd run the science fiction convention when we did a review of our fan act in 2020 which was very funny um so when you were sort of talking about journaling i've been journaling a lot um sorry claire um because because claire's go to to read my journals when i'm dead and go what on earth was this about <laughs> is that a threat <laughs> like, is that i don't know how to pass that uh, so claire's gonna read all your journals after you're dead claire may read all, all my journals before then claire wants to do an anthology of my fan writing and i'm like but my fan writing is largely in co bits and pieces because i should do a fanzine um anyway um that that bring some of the incurred bits and pieces but i've been doing a lot of journaling and i've been doing a lot of self-reflecting and again these are things like i feel like i may be although i go well i'm exactly the same person i was a year ago i'm clearly not the same person i was a year ago because the person i was a year ago was not very self-reflective so it's kind of weird and then having said oh yes i've been doing lots of this stuff it happens that for the last week i haven't for the last week i've been taking a particular video game and going Ooh, it's got this set of incredibly hard achievements. Maybe I could get all of them. Which is, I know, in a moment of self-reflection, perhaps not the best use of my time. Um, But something's going on there. And I think it may have something to do with the anniversary of this and thinking, oh, yes, all of this is a year since we started um, reordering our life so that there will be an apocalypse for those of us who did. I I think it's also like John says about about coping mechanisms. there's probably part of your brain that's gone, well, I'm going to do all this stuff and things about it, but it's all temporary. And then you're like, oh, it's a year. Doesn't seem very temporary. No. <laughs> so the other thing I found is that, so for instance, my parents didn't open their Christmas presents because they were like, we'll save them for Easter when we can have family Christmas. And something I have been doing in the apocalypse is that I've not just been in a holding pattern waiting for my life to restart i've been making the most of what i can do in the apocalypse i think a lot of the people i've been talking to who seem to be coping better have been trying to make the most of it instead of kind of waiting for it to stop and so i did i did eventually say to my parents like you should open your christmas presents like like you know i mean i'm hopeful i get to see you but you can't just you can't take every joyful experience out of your life until the world's fixed and then have them all at once. That that doesn't seem like a good tack. And I appreciate that's difficult because I am um, privileged in that I have had the energy to follow that advice and I appreciate there will be people for whom that is not true and they don't have the spoons or the batteries um, to kind of try and make try and make the best of the situation because it is a hugely stressful and um, draining situation to be in. Um, so I know that there will be some people listening who are like, well, yeah, but I didn't have the, 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 the batteries and I completely sympathize. Um, I don't have any useful advice. 
Well, I'll once again refer people to the CGP Grey video Spaceship U in which he talks about what to do if you have no batteries and where to start. So, that is us staying sane in the apocalypse. Next week, we will be... Uh, reading out the poems we have received for our anthology for the anniversary of the Octothorpe podcast and we will be discussing all of the exciting news that has come out of EasterCon about what it is they're doing and how. And we will be talking about our plans for EasterCon and what we're going to do which we'll know about because we will know a lot more about how EasterCon is going to work by then. Yeah, and that is a good thing to look forward to. And Liz, where are you going that means you can't record next Sunday? Is it exciting? Uh, I might go to the beach (gasps) tell us about the beach liz what is it like is it outside is there air (laughs) it's outside it is a few a few hours uh from bangkok hey that's good that was the 26th episode of the oxathort podcast and it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me that was an entire year of podcasting I'm not going to a particularly nice beach because I'm going to one which is close and also there are quite a few places. So we're in this like, we're in a, the like British Tears except they're done by colours instead. Um, and so I'm currently in an orange zone um, and I'm going to travel to yellow, but some of them won't let people travel from orange zones yet without 14 days of quarantine. Are these like tears? They are very like tears, except that they're colour coded and so there are five of them. And also, but also provinces can have their own provincial restrictions. Anyway, uh, the point is that I can't travel everywhere because not everywhere wants to accept visitors from uh, orange tiered places when they are green or yellow tiered places. But what orange tier means is, I mean, I think we've had like a handful of cases on some days in the past two weeks, right? So by orange tier, we mean that we are coming down from what the British would consider to be to be extremely well controlled to almost zero. So it's all in context, really. When you when when Alison said, oh, are there five five levels because they're colour-coded, does that imply Alison only thinks there are five <laughs> colours? Because there are more than five colours. I was thinking it was like the mousy-mousy of pandemic control. So instead of having a die, you would have like a die with colours on it for, for people who can't manage numbers. Oh, she's, she's off again making cultural references I don't get, Liz. Yeah, I don't get this one either. Massy Massy? I mean, you call yourself a gamer. You must have played Massy Massy. Must I? Is that a game <laughs> that cats play? Much played. I mean, it, it's not a game that virtualizes well, but it is much played amongst um, actual people at, at like games conventions and things in corners because you play it with an anvil, which the original does not contain an anvil. <sighs> what you, is you, you take a heavy weight, so when you when you slam down the cup to catch the mice, also. What are you talking about? <laughs> I found a link on game.co.uk to a game called Mousy Mousy. It's got a solo cup and an illustration of two mice, but it doesn't have any pictures of it in play, so I can't... Look, right, all I'm saying is you need to put a link in the show notes. Okay, so okay, so after the apocalypse, I will play Mousy Mousy with you. <laughs> oh, hello. Liz, I'm being propositioned again. <laughs> it does sound vaguely threatening. <laughs> it, it's a game for people who have not yet learnt to 
count. So therefore, games with dice where you have to do something that involves the numbers on a dice are too hard for them. So so you, you use a die with, um, with colours on it instead. This is probably off topic. Um, the theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.